I had a student going to Tanglewood, not going to Tanglewood anymore. I had a student going to um, NOI, not going to NOI anymore. Yes, so it did turn out that a lot of these programs ended up switching and offering a virtual option. But I felt like, you know what, let's, let's do something. It is November 30th, 2020, and you are listening to episode 23 of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. What's going on, everybody? Sam Rothstein here, acting principal clarinet with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra and host of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. If you haven't yet, please take a second to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Remember that we record and release a new episode weekly. If you want to join us for a live stream of the podcast, please head over to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash thecandidclarinetist and drop us a follow. We record every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, and the benefit of checking out one of these live streams is that there is an opportunity to interact with myself and my wonderful guests. Once again, you can follow us at twitch.tv slash thecandidclarinetist. You are definitely not going to want to miss next week's episode with Pops conductor Jack Everly. Meister Everly is the principal Pops conductor of the Indianapolis Symphony, Baltimore Symphony, Naples Philharmonic, and the National Arts Center Orchestra in Ottawa, Canada. Meister Everly has been instrumental in the growth of the very popular Yuletide celebration in Indianapolis, and I'm going to dig into all the little nuts and bolts that go along with curating such a massive production. Make sure to tune in live next Monday the 7th at 8 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Today, our guest is Ixie Chen, who is the second clarinetist with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra and the founder of the Digital Clarinet Academy. The DCA was a popular programming option this summer for students in light of the restrictions surrounding the coronavirus pandemic. Excuse me, the coronavirus pandemic. So I wanted to bring Ixie on to give her basically an hour-long infomercial about the outstanding things that people can discover from the Digital Clarinet Academy. Ixie, thank you so much for spending time with me this evening. Hey, Sam. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's absolutely great to have you. So let's just dive right in. And the first thing I want to ask you is, what was your inspiration around forming the Digital Clarinet Academy? I've been thinking about a digital platform for a long time, actually. It was um, probably a few years in the making. Just having students come to me, um, hearing people from all over the country taking um, lessons before applying to CCM, the College Conservatory of Music here at the University of Cincinnati. And um, just listening to, well, I wish I um, could have started earlier. I wish I could have had lessons um, more often, or I wish I lived somewhere where I could go and have um, weekly lessons with a professional in a major city. And so I started to recognize a need of um, students who maybe don't have the opportunity or the means or just the bandwidth, their family doesn't have the bandwidth to drive them to lessons and started to think about how I could help create an online or a digital space for clarinet learning. And um, it was through sort of by accident, just coming across a couple of courses on how to create online learning. And I jumped right in. I loved it. I thought I'm going to do this. And of course, I never really had time. 
between teaching and the orchestra job and also running Concert Nova, my time was pretty much taken. And so um, I said, okay, it's the fall of 2019. I'm going to do this. So I started writing out an outline for, I wanted to target younger clarinet students. Those particularly maybe going into high school, maybe they're, they had played in middle school and it was time to get a little bit better. Maybe they wanted to audition for the youth orchestra or the wind ensemble, the youth wind ensemble in the city. And maybe they just wanted a little extra help. Um, and so I started this outline that was specifically targeted for eighth to ninth grader, eighth, ninth graders. And um, it was very slow going. And at the same time, I was taking this other course, teaching me how to create a digital product. And so like learning how to set up lights, learning how to record yourself, learning how to create a website landing page, lead magnets, all that stuff. Um, and I thought it was fascinating. So I was in learning mode for a long time. Come March of this year, suddenly we weren't playing, we weren't rehearsing, we were teaching from home. And I felt that it was a really good time to just try it. And so we bought lights, we bought um, equipment, and I just dived right in. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the pandemic, obviously, I don't want to make the whole program about it, but I think it really gave a lot of people the necessary kick to sort of explore a lot of these side projects that people had been thinking about doing for a long time. And you, of course, already had the roots down because you started it sort of the groundwork in the fall of 2019. Is that what you said? Right. Fall of 2019. And so this was like, okay, well, I got all this time on my hands. Now maybe it's the time for me to just kind of jump off the cliff and, and, and let's go and let's make it happen. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, that's really cool. And I know that, um, well, I don't know anyone. I, I think I know a couple of people personally that took the courses over the summer. Um, but can you can you just talk about sort of what the Digital Clarinet Academy looked like in terms of program and, and how it's sort of evolved over the time over the, the time of its existence? I guess it's been just about a year now. Um, but but you said it really kind of kicked in um, at the uh, sort of like in March ish is when you you know, started getting, kicking it into gear, I guess. Right. Yeah. So, um, just finishing up classes at, at CCM, all the lessons there concurrent to, I was giving more master classes online and then trying to write the, um, outlines and scripts and record things. And it was such a interesting process because one, you're writing everything out, um, that you've never really codified in the past, you just sort of sat down with a student and worked with them, mm -hmm. right? But this is this was a project where you had to look from step one all the way through to putting things together. So you're talking about putting the clarinet together, history of the clarinet, equipment, practice room, you know, habits, um, things like then going into embouchure, air, support, posture, all that stuff. And um it was interesting because I had my college students beta test the course for me. And then I got halfway through and it was probably mid-April and all the students said, what am I going to do this summer? Everything's been canceled. 
I had a student going to Tanglewood, not going to Tanglewood anymore. I had a student going to um, NOI, not going to NOI anymore. Mm-hmm. So it did turn out that a lot of these programs ended up switching and offering a virtual option. But I felt like, you know what, let's let's do something about this. And so I contacted a few of my friends and said, hey, do you guys want to help put something together? I already have a platform. I have a website. We could just put up a few pages, get people signed up, and we can get going. Um, having also taught CCM students for a while now, I wanted to address a little bit of the gap of what they experience after they graduate. So I wanted to address a little bit more um, in the DCA summer sessions about career options, about wellness, about um, injury prevention, to give them a little bit of a broader picture of what they might need to do or what options they want to have open to them after they graduate. So this is an area that's a passion of mine to help people who have graduated and they're finding themselves working at the box office or at Starbucks or nannying or just trying to make ends meet without necessarily doing and getting paid for making music. Mm -hmm. And um, if you have gone on to Concert Nova website, you would have seen something called Next Generation, which was in its fifth year of, of presenting a program for the like graduate students or people who have just graduated from their master's or doctorate to teach them every month about entrepreneurial skills. Um, and so I just wanted to include this aspect on top of clarinet excerpts, clarinet, how to perform, how to, you know, what are the foundations? Um, so I built that into the summer sessions. Wow. That's amazing. And it sounds like you, you really had like a, uh, you hit every sort of aspect of clarinet life in the summer sessions. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier, which is that you actually had to write out your lesson plans. And I think that's a really interesting point to make because I think a lot of us, uh, professionals, at least when, you know, when we get into the orchestras or whatever, we know a lot about clarinet. We know a lot about music. We know a lot about how to be a professional, but we never have to actually articulate it in writing. We just kind of do it, you know, and I'm sort of finding this with my podcast where, you know, when I first started, I was like, okay, I'll just interview some people and we'll talk to them and get to know them. And, and that'll be that. And then I started sitting down and realizing how many different things were associated with being a clarinetist and being a musician. And then you're like, you're just swimming with all these ideas and all these topics you can talk about. So you mentioned a few things yourself, which was injury prevention and entrepreneurship and stuff. What other things do you also, because I know you've also had like repair technicians in to, to speak at the sessions and, you know, what's, what's like some of the things that maybe people wouldn't think about, even they, they know, they know that they do it, but they don't necessarily think about it. What are some of those topics that you try to cover in the sessions? Yeah, we definitely wanted to get the, um, Melanie Wong came and Mark mm-hmm. Jacoby came and Tomoji, um, just an aspect of 
understanding the instrument you're playing, you know, being able to make a quick fix, especially now when you can't really travel or you have to ship your instrument over to somebody. Um, we had Ramon come and talk about mouthpieces and um, Brad Bain came, talked about his mouthpieces and Lee Livingood. Um, just these makers who, Brian Corbin was there, makers who um, were, were able to share a little bit about the craft of creating something that is so essential and personal to you as a musician and artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we sometimes feel a little disconnected to, a lot of students feel disconnected to who is actually making their their mouthpieces, barrels, their instruments. Francois Clock came on and talked about the buffet process. Um, but I think understanding your instrument on a different level, just knowing, all right, so this is how the mechanism really connects, or this is how um, oh, the Dario and um, Van Doren came as well, talking mm-hmm. about reeds and the manufacturing process. Just getting behind the scenes a little bit and knowing that, hey, you know what? I'm really interested in and curious about that. I kind of want to check that out a little bit more. Maybe it's a career path for me. Yeah, and it's good. Um, oh, sorry to interrupt. Um, I just think it's it's great to expose people to all these different things because I think a lot of people are, you know, you go to conservatory and you uh, get surrounded by all these amazing players and these amazing teachers and it's like really one track, boom, orchestra, let's go. You know, how do I get there the fastest? But there's a lot of amazing players that become arts administrators. There's a lot of amazing players that become mouthpiece craftsmen or repair technicians. Um, and so I, I really think that you're doing a valuable service to our industry by exposing all of these people to you know the different aspects of just our industry. And I think the one thing that we all have in common is that we just love music, right? That's That's sort of the one thing that connects all of us. And it was fascinating to me when I had Francois Clock on and he just talked to me about how much he just like loved l- traveling the country and listening to the different orchestras. And it never really struck me because I was just like, oh, he just, you know, he makes the instruments or he, he's, he, he doesn't even make them himself. He's like <laughs> in charge of the people that make them, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Anymore. He used to, he used to make them, but, um, but it, it was just fascinating. I was like, oh, this guy just loves music, like probably more than the rest of us do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, when we're in college, we don't really see our path that clearly. At my first question to incoming students is, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What do you want to do? What's your biggest dream? Inevitably, it's always, I want to play in an orchestra. I want to be principal clarinet. I also want to teach and I want to play chamber music. Right. One, two, three. Yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's find a way to get there. Yeah. Okay, what orchestra do you want to get into? What's your dream orchestra? I don't know. I'll take any job. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to have a very clear path. You have to see exactly what it is that you want to do. And here's the thing. I mean, who knows where we're going to be with these orchestras in the next year, in the next five years? Who knows how hard of a hit this pandemic has, has been? Right. Mm -hmm. And even before the pandemic, it was never going to be a certain certainty. Now, I'm the first person who will say there's a place for everybody. I Mm -hmm. firmly believe that there is room for everybody. 
maybe not as principal clarinetists of the New York Philharmonic, right? Right. But there, there's something out there for you. But to illuminate other paths, like this is how Melanie got from being a music major, a clarinet major, to being one of the most sought after repair technicians in the country. This is how Brian was able to get started. I mean, he's so young. He's still in his 20s. Right. And he's all over the place. He's shipping barrels everywhere, instruments everywhere. So how did he go from being a clarinet major to creating and crafting clarinets, right? Mm -hmm. So I find find that process very interesting. And the first thing I, I ask them to talk about when before the class begins is just tell us a little bit about how you got where you are now. And what were the motivations and who were the biggest influences on that path? And who, who was there to support you when you felt like, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing? Yeah, well, that, I think that's an important point because it's like you feel like a black sheep if you don't want to be in an orchestra, you know? And I had uh, Andy Hudson, who's a professor at UNC Greensboro, I had him on a couple weeks ago, and he even told me after the show, he's like, He's like, you know, Sam, like, I remember we were standing outside of the music building and I was like really frustrated because I was taking these auditions and I didn't want to take the auditions because I didn't really want to play an orchestra. And you told me, you're like, you know, you don't, you don't have to do that. Like, you know, but, but sometimes people just feel like this, you know, I, 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 I'm a failure or I'm weird because I don't want to, you know, do the same thing that everyone else wants to do. But I think the, the truth of the matter is, is like, it doesn't mean you're any less successful. In fact, it, oftentimes you can be more successful doing other things. Absolutely. You have to find your gift. You have to find your your unique set of um, skills and talents that add up to something that you can offer to the world. We had Carrie Landry on, mm-hmm. who's the clarinetist of um, Acropolis Quintet. Mm-hmm. And she also shared how she went from being a clarinet major to running a a really popular and in-demand chamber music ensemble that is actually doing really well. I mean, you're thinking about having a career and making a living off of chamber music. I mean, Emerson Quartet, you know, you can name top 10 string quartets who can actually make a living, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, having the students hear from someone like Carrie was like, whoa, I had no idea that I could possibly do that. Um, And she just, she shared some of the things that the group is doing now. They're helping people who want to start chamber music groups learn about 501c3s. They have a mastermind that helps them write a business plan um, put together a proposal, write a grant, create a presentation, um, market themselves. And so not only do you have to find and be able to connect with other people to start a group and, and work with them, um, you have to be able to present it to the world, um, and make it viable. Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant what she shared. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And she's actually somebody who I who I would definitely like to have on at some point, just because, uh, you know, 
that's a whole nother, and that's once again, that's another topic where I'm like, ooh, there's there's just all these things I never thought about having to do with music and clarinet, and uh, there's so many great people to talk to about that. So, um, yeah. Well, that's and great. Oh, sorry. Another go ahead. person, another person who you might consider is Tracy Friedlander. She's on there. Yep. Also came came by and mm-hmm. um, talked about. I mean, her crushing ca- classical program is is really about empowering people to create their own careers, mm-hmm. not wait for the job to be won, not wait for the teaching position to be handed to them, but just start discovering what you're good at and creating your own career. Absolutely. Which I love. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's definitely a, the right mindset. I think nowadays more than ever, uh, cause you know, I, and we're a little off, uh, off schedule here, but that's okay. Cause I love this conversation. Um, I think that, you know, our industry is just, it feels like to me, ever since I've been in the professional world, it's just like always teetering on the brink of disaster. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, it, there's always these articles, oh, you know, orchestras are failing, you know, it's, you, I mean, you, and you can dig up articles from like 1950 that say the exact same thing, you know, and somehow they always manage to survive, but there is a need for ingenuity and creativity and new ideas. You know, you can't just keep doing the same thing because those things kind of lose their demand after a while. And so you have to morph and change and figure out, okay, what do, what do we need to do now that maybe we weren't doing 30 years ago? And I think having more critical thinkers in the industry is uh, vitally important to continuing that path. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I think there's always going to be a love for the classics, right? All the, the big works. Sure. Um, you see young people getting, and my son is nine, and he recently got his own set of headphones, you know, the wireless kind that yeah, yeah. You know, sort of block. He's nine, and there's a, we have this house phone, house mobile phone, <laughs> just for emergencies if, for some reason he gets off the bus before we get home, whatever. Mm -hmm. So he's been using that phone to, um, and the headphones just to kind of listen to whatever music he wants to. And the other day I was like, Max, what are you listening to? He's like, rock him on and off. (laughs) And I'm like, really? Perfect. That is amazing because he's discovering music on his own. And then the next day it was Rostropovich playing Vivaldi. And then it was, you know, so, I know that there's going to be places, there's going to be a place in a, a, a huge population in their hearts for classical music. Mm-hmm. It's just so powerful. Playing an orchestra is so powerful. Playing with other people in chamber music, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, you're connecting to someone with harmony, with sound, with timing, with precision, with coordination. There's nothing cooler than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. I tend to be optimistic about it, no matter how much, you know, if I remember what, how many years ago was that? The concert over started in 2007 mm-hmm. and there was an article in the New York times front page of the arts section that year. That was like classical music is dead. Here's yeah. someone, but here's someone who's going to help. Right. It was it was Matt Heimovitz on the cover and he was playing in a bar. And that was like big, big news. Yeah. Someone was going to play Bach in a bar. <laughs> what? How can you do that? 
right? Blasphemy, um, yeah. But as long as we have innovators, as long as we have people who are willing to break the mold to bring chamber music back to the living room or to, what's that series in, I think it's in New York where you can, um, it's sort of like Airbnb, but you can sign up for it and it, and people just come together to different living rooms across the city. Oh, I don't know. Have you heard of that? No. I mean, you have to know, the one thing uh, you have to know about Indianapolis is we're about five years behind the rest of the world and everything. So this would be one of those things. That's what they say about Cincinnati. They say Cincinnati is 10 years behind. Mark okay. So maybe we're, maybe we're beating you in that regard. But, <laughs> uh, well, that sounds really cool. Um, so let's uh, let's circle back to the DCA. Um, you know, clearly something like this is a massive, massive undertaking uh, just in terms of logistics uh you gotta ask people if they're available you have to have some sort of online uh platform to uh you know social media you have to have a system where people can sign up and and scholarships and what all that stuff so are you doing everything yourself or do you have a team of people that help you because if you're doing everything yourself i think we should just you should run for president oh right no way no thank you (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i could last a day yeah (laughs) But no, I had plenty of help. Um, co- the The basic core of what I wanted to present was there. Like I, I knew exactly how I would envision the day and how the day would flow and that I definitely wanted to take field trips places. Um, I definitely wanted to take behind the scenes trips, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um but the first crew, I had a couple of um, past students of mine, Jackie Glazier mm-hmm. and Jeff. Who, by the way, is going to be on the podcast in two weeks. So right, stay yeah. tuned for that. She will be Yeah, in. she's, she's great. Yeah. Um, and then there was a woman named Tiffany Valvo, who is now my partner here at DCA and Music 360, who I had seen do virtual clarinet warm-ups. And I just loved it. And I checked her out and um, saw that she had a class at VCU called The Creative Habit. And I'm like, yes, she's perfect. Got to get her on to teach as well. And it turns out that my student had studied with her in undergrad, my master's student, a current student of mine. And um, he had sort of introduced us along the way, but that never really went anywhere. It was like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Maybe we'll talk one more one day. Um, but as soon as I saw her, um, virtual warmups, I was like, I, I think she would be perfect. Mm-hmm. And we totally hit it off. She ended up doing a lot of the videos and graphics and social media. Gotcha. Um, while Jeff was a master at coordinating the schedules of the students and sending them out, like, this is a zoom link you need to use for this hour. This is where you need to go next. This is what you need to prepare for a master class today. So between the three of us, really, it was a really well-oiled machine. And then I kept them on mm-hmm. to coordinate for the second and third sessions. Well, if you need a podcast branch, let me know, and I'll be uh, I'll be right there for you. You got it. Let's <laughs> sounds, talk more after. Sounds good. Um, so, you know, I of course my teacher Lori Bloom is a good friend of yours, and uh, he always spoke very 
highly of you uh, as an educator. And, and I know you're very, very passionate about education and teaching. So was it, uh, what came first? Uh, did the teaching or the playing come first? Like, were you like, oh, I'm going to be, okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I wanted to be, you know, yeah, yeah. on the stage. Sure, sure. Although, you know, I remember back to some of my piano recitals where I was like, I will not go on that stage. <laughs> I remember just hating it. And it was something I had to overcome to do the thing that I loved. I studied with Yehuda Galad. And I remember him saying, you have to love the stage. You have to come on that stage and just eat it up. And I was thinking, gosh, maybe, maybe I'm not cut out for that. I don't love the stage, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think you have to be a soloist, you don't have to be that, have that principal clarinet quality to love making music with others. And it took several years before I realized there are some people who are better at supporting. They're, they're, they're better at a supporting role. Mm -hmm. And I felt that that was me. Like I could, I feel like I could play second to anyone. Mm -hmm. And I love the challenge. There was one year when we didn't have a principal here and every week a new person would rotate in. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah. I loved meeting that challenge. I loved just seeing how quickly we can find a way to, to meld and blend and, and, you know, to find that sweet spot. Uh -huh. um, but I do realize I'm never going to be that soloist or that principal. And that's fine. Yeah. In fact, um, if you go to Europe, they peg you. You know, you're a second player, or you're, you're no, you're going to be a principal, and like French horn players, or you're a high high horn, you're a low horn, mm -hmm. right? You sort of have tendencies, you have um, traits that would better support a certain role, mm -hmm. and so um, I, I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think the teaching came along, well, it was Steve Cohen who was here at CCM mm -hmm. when um, the school said, let's, let's get some adjuncts to come in. Um, and he invited the CSO section to come teach. And I quickly fell in love with teaching at that level. Mm -hmm. um, there's something very special about sending someone on their way into the world and um, helping them find individuality, finding, finding artistry, finding their own voice, which is immensely rewarding to me. And so, so I think I'm better with the master students, with the doctoral students than I am with um, incoming freshmen, mm -hmm. honestly. While I love all my students, it's it's that transformation going into the real world, um, watching their evolution into kind of from being uncertain into people who have conviction, people who are committed, people who know what they want to say, um, and then helping them find their path. I just love that. I love empowering young people. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm sure it's pretty cool too when you when you see them leave and then they get jobs and then eventually they become your colleagues. I think that's probably a pretty cool thing for you to see as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Um, so obviously you did the summer sessions with the DCA um, and it's continued past that because uh, now you have a, can you maybe just describe like what kind of offerings are out there now? And I think there's like a monthly subscription or something, uh, something to that effect. So, you know, exactly. for, for the benefit of our audience, can you, uh, can you just sort of describe what they can uh, sign up for now? Yeah. So um, around the third session, I got to thinking, would I go back to um, the course that I was creating? It was called foundational excellence. And I probably recorded 25 videos for it. And there were 20 to 25 videos left to record. And there still is. <laughs> I haven't really taken that up yet. Mm-hmm. But um, just feeling the pulse of getting to know the clarinet landscape a little bit over the summer, meeting colleagues, meeting peers, being more engaged and active in Facebook groups, um, just meeting more people. And all thanks to our Zoom connection mm-hmm. and all the activity that sprung up as a result of um, being quarantined was able to, I was able to feel out what people kind of needed and decided that people want connection. People want a community. Um, How do you reach those people? How do you, do you have to use social media? Is there a way to, I started thinking about all these questions surrounding the, just the national atmosphere right now. Mm -hmm. Um, People are in school. They're going to go back to school and not necessarily be able to play with one another or see their teachers or have contact with any of the other students. Like right now at CCM, our students have two hours assigned in a practice room and they're assigned to a pod of four or five people. And when they go to school, they don't run into anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you're used to knocking on your neighbor's door. Hey, can you come listen to something? Right. Or do you want to play duets? Or do you want to just read some stuff with me? It's not like that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our programs now are focusing on the community, the connective aspect. Um, Tiffany and I wrote, recorded, and are in the middle of teaching um, the Studio Building Master Plan, which is part of a program of DCA, Mm -hmm. thinking there are a lot of people out there who may not even be able to go to their Starbucks jobs or their box office jobs. But they have a wealth of knowledge that they can share and help people with. So I had a couple students in mind, previous students in mind that, hey, why don't you guys start a teaching studio, offer some very basic teaching, record it and send it to your local middle schools because they're hurting right now, too. How can people help each other? Like, what are the needs right now? You need a job. You can create a job for yourself. And also be helping the band directors and the students who don't have teachers. So there's like this win-win that I was seeing. So that 
I think that project, we made about 40 videos Mm -hmm. and also offered the live question and answer sessions and master classes with it. And that was really rewarding to make too. And, and we learned a lot yeah. from it. Um, we also do have, you mentioned the, the monthly membership mm-hmm. that's called thrive 360, which is, um, a program that is based on three main ideas. The, the overreaching idea is that you, your training is not enough and your training is not all you have. So it's based on that principle of when you graduate, you've got to keep learning in order to create the career that you want to create. Um, Pillar number one is you don't perform enough. You know, you're graduating from school having had how many recitals? Two, three, maybe? Yeah. Solo recitals. If you're a master's student, maybe you have two solo recitals. And then you're a master of performance. Right. <laughs> right. It just you're seemed a, a little like it wasn't quite adding up. You're still not crossing that bridge from practice mind to performance mind enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Second one is um, you're not diversifying your approaches. You're not learning from enough different perspectives. Yes you're in your traditional box of learning, do this exercise, do this set of etudes, do that. Um, so are do you, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Are, are you a big proponent of, of letting your students, I mean, letting, I guess they can do whatever they want, but, um, I was always, uh, very pleased with, with my teachers because they were like, please go take a lesson with so-and-so go, go hear this masterclass, go do it. You know, cause I think you're right. I think people kind of get in their boxes and they get, they get told one thing and that can help when you're a little lost and you need some direction. But in terms of like broadening your knowledge base, I think it's, uh, can be detrimental. Yes. I am a big proponent of take lessons with other clarinet teachers mm-hmm. and other instrumental performers. Yes. Absolutely. Um, or take a lesson with, um, a singer Yes. or take a dance class. Yeah. Or use, yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, sorry. I I was just going to say, I think that, um, you know, that's a big thing that I try to do, uh, when I'm preparing for auditions and stuff is play for everybody, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, and you mentioned singers and they have a really interesting perspective. And I was lucky because I studied with Laurie and of course his, you know, I, I believe his mother was an opera singer. And um, and so he grew up around that. He grew up around a lot of professional singers. And so he really taught clarinet in a very vocal way. But like if they hear you breathe in a certain way or phrase in a certain way, they're going to have a certain comment that maybe you or I wouldn't have because we're like, oh, it's a clarinet. So we're going to you know, it, of course he's playing the stuffy B flat, you know, or whatever the case may be. Um, so I think that's a, that's really important that you bring that up. And I think also with your programming and all the different guest artists that you bring in, I mean, they get exposed, the students get exposed to so many different people and perspectives and they're all totally different. And I love that. I think that's so great. Oh, I think it's a necessity. Yeah. Um, we're bringing in a, a CrossFit athlete in December in the month. So every month, we have a different elevation or focal point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
October was Bel Canto with Dan Gilbert and a soprano named um, Donata Cucinota. Oh, yeah. She sings with the ISO all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fabulous. Uh-huh. So funny. Yeah, she's great. Really engaging. So upbeat. And she was explaining what Bel Canto is, how um, people achieve it, how sopranos are able to or singers are able to sing a three-hour opera and not be dead tired. You know, how, how, what is their support system? How does that work? Let's get on the floor. Let's do, you know, some work with our abdominals, you yeah. know? Uh-huh. Um, so bel canto, not just from a clarinet teacher, like makes the whole subject 3d, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. What better way than to learn from the source? Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, November was mindfulness with Amy Zoloto mm-hmm. and Stacy Sims, who runs uh, Mindful Music Moments, The Well, City Silence. You know, she's a mind-body educator and was talking about ways that you can incorporate mindfulness five minutes a day. Listen to this podcast. Listen, read this. Um, watch this video. So every month there's prompts, there's challenges, there's rep assignments, and five live classes that really just immerse you into a topic that maybe your teacher talked to you for five minutes in a lesson one day. You really should, you know, look into this book, read this book about mindfulness. Okay, let's go back to your excerpts. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you should think about singing this phrase. Okay, sing this phrase. All right, let's go back to your... Yeah, and never right? sing it ever your again. <laughs> So spending a whole month on something really gets you to think about it. You reflect a, reflect on it, and then you're encouraged to record it and perform it. So if we have this digital recital hall where everybody's face is, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a line, and you can click on someone and go hear their performances. Oh, that's cool. That's the that's the idea of of crossing that bridge between practice and performance you know, hitting record, not just hitting record, but then hitting publish or post or really getting it out there and not being tied down by perfectionism, not being held back by doubt or fear of it's not good enough. You are where you are. And we're talking about Bel Canto this month. So put out your best Bel Canto rendition of Rose three right. or two, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, just get used to putting it out there and not apologizing for it. Yeah. So what's, uh, can you do, uh, tell us what December is going to be? Because I actually do CrossFit, so I'm interested to hear who the CrossFit athlete is. Oh, Hannah Hardy. Okay, I don't, I don't Hannah think Hannah Hardy, she is um, from Richmond and she is a competitor. So she probably has six or seven competitions every year yeah. it's very similar to maybe what a schedule of audition like if you're on the audition circuit mm-hmm. what that might look like yep maybe if you're lucky <laughs> yeah that's all that'd be a busy year for sure yeah um but just the idea of training and training and training and training sure. and then having to do prepare mentally physically for one big moment right mm-hmm how do we, how do we approach that? So Jonathan Gunn is the clarinet teacher for that month. 
Great. For, for December, for this month. Mm-hmm. Um, the prompts are for the students, they, they just got it today. They got their packet and the prompts are, well, what do you, what do you usually do to, to prepare? What's your, what are the steps you take? The prompts from Hannah are just track your sleep, track how much water you're drinking. What are your physical habits? When, when do you eat? Do you eat regularly? You know, there's this aspect of preparation that I think we're at a loss about when you're, when you're young, you're sort of like, well, all the audition classes I've ever taken have told me that I need to prepare for eight weeks before and I need to do this and I need to do that. But I don't think it gets deep enough to being aware of our tendencies, being aware of when our energy is up and when it's down in a certain day. Mm -hmm. So a certain time of day. So let's say, you know, you're going to be slotted into the four o'clock hour and you're like, I know because I've, observed myself that that is a low energy time. Yeah. So how do I prepare well for performing when I'm at my lowest energy of the day? What do I need to do? Wow. Really interesting. Thinking about little details like that, that can get deeper into a process that maybe you thought you've already explored. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's important to try to find little advantages here and there, you know, just try to, you know, even at that level, you know, if you're going from 90% to 91%, that's a huge change, you know, and just finding little advantages like that, make sure you're hydrated, make sure you know your sleep, make sure you, you know, if you know you're at a low energy time, how do you sort of navigate around that, whereas maybe before, like you said, you weren't thinking about that, and I think that's really important. Uh, for auditions and performances, just just knowing what you need to do to kind of like be at your best um, at those times, and uh, I love I love the angle of of taking a professional athlete, um, you know, or a com- competitive athlete, um, and getting you know her perspective on that. So that's that's really cool. Uh, I, I really uh, commend yeah, you for, come, for that. Yeah, join us for for December. Sure, I'd love to. Um, yeah. I'm not doing anything else, so I'd love to join. you. <laughs> We start with uh, trainings back to back. So Hannah will be training, presenting, and then Jonathan will go in the next cool. hour. We take yeah. a little break, then he'll go. And then um, he's assigned the Prima Rhapsody, one of the Rose Etudes, and a couple of excerpts. Cool. So stuff that people probably already know. So they're not, if they're, you know, if they have juries or whatever's going on at school, they're not feeling too overwhelmed, but they could still engage and prepare. Right. For sure. Uh, well, that sounds like a great, yeah. great month. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask about you, uh, you certainly have this reputation in the clarinet community. Uh, you're, you're, you're very much an innovator and an entrepreneur. So what's, uh, what, you know, you said you were really going down that performance track and that you really wanted to do that. So what kind of like made you, what flipped the switch for you where you were just like, you know what, I want to explore these other projects. And, and maybe you can also mention, you mentioned Concert Nova a couple times. That's mm-hmm. one of your, your side projects as well. Um, so can you just talk about, you know, ICSI as the entrepreneur, like how that sort of came to be? Oh, quite by accident. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know one single musician who just plays music and that's all they do. 
I mean, just thinking about my colleagues, Randy Bowman, our principal flute player, is an extraordinary um, pen artist. Um, one of my violin colleagues is an extraordinary potter. There's a, a man in the bass section who is a photographer. You know, we're all multi-passionate human beings and we're human. Mm -hmm. We have interests. Some people, I, you know, Eric Kim, right? In Indy. Uh, yes. He teaches, yeah. he teaches there. Mm -hmm. He was a really great chef. Like people find ways to be creative. People find ways to renew themselves. I think playing an orchestra is one of the biggest blessings of my life, but it's not all. Mm -hmm. It's um, something that I think I still get immense pleasure from having playing that job, being able to play beautiful rep every day. Well, not every day now, but um, when we're back in, you know, day in and day out. Mm -hmm. But there's other things that I think we all want to do. And there's a time when maybe um, it's good to explore those things. Yeah. So for me, I think the chamber music came early. I mean, I always wanted to play chamber music. I always wanted to have an outlet for chamber music and to create programs. Um, Concert Nova was was basically, I was in my 20s when I joined Cincinnati Symphony. And so I had a lot of friends around town who worked for P&G, who worked for Amazon. And we'd go out, we'd do happy hours and meet people. And they'd always ask me, hey, what do you do? Where do you work? I'm like, I'm at the symphony. And um, they say, wow, that's really cool. I love the symphony. That's so awesome. What a great job. I'm like, can you, are you going to come down and catch a concert? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that's not for me. I can't sit still that long. <laughs> like it's dark. <laughs> I'm like, really? Why don't you come try it? No, no. I mean, it's I have dark. A what? whatever, whatever, yeah. um, excuse they can come up with. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't go. Okay. So I was like, we need to change that. What yeah. would make you go? So I started asking around, what would make you go to a classical music concert? Well, if I could walk around, well, if I could have a drink, well, if um, it wasn't that long, right? So I started thinking about how and what would be enticing. Changing up the venue, surely. Um, having drinks, surely. But what other aspect would make the program really pop for them? And sort of came to rest on the idea of multidisciplinary collaboration to tell the story. So there's a visual aspect. There's maybe there's dance, maybe there's a storyteller, maybe it's um, culinary. Maybe we have it in a restaurant and the food kind of, of it, it supports the music or it illustrates the music. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's um, neuroscientist talking about how our brains take how our ears take the sound and create emotion. So it's just, it's just connecting to the music at a different level. Yeah. And now we're in our 14th season. Wow. It's hard to believe. Yeah. Good for, I remember I, uh, so I, Ralph Schiano is a dear friend of mine and he's a, a mm -hmm. colleague of yours. 
Um, and he said, he's like, I have no idea how she does it. She's like constantly doing social media and making all these programs and doing this and that. I have no idea how she does it. So I am not good at social media. <laughs> neither am I. That's been one of the more, one of the, <laughs> for anybody who's following us on Instagram or Facebook, you know, you know, that's, that's where I'm challenged is in the social media department. But yeah, uh, I mean, I think for DCA, I ended up signing up for a course on like Instagram. <laughs> yeah. How do you use hashtags? Yeah, right. I used to use hashtags for fun, you know, just make one up, put it in there. But now I guess there's a science to it. Yeah. Well, maybe I need to learn that science because I've just been making it up as I go along. So, (laughs) but, um, well, Ixi, uh, it's just amazing to talk to you because you have such an interesting uh, and very diverse perspective on just the whole industry, uh, honestly, and clarinet playing. And, uh, you know, I love how you sort of, you see the world around you and like, oh, how does the music connect to everything we do? Um, and I uh, just, uh, we, I mean, this is the first time we had met and um, it's, it's, it's been really fascinating to talk to you and just hear that. And like, I, I, I sort of know, know you more as a person now, just, just based on like, you know, what you're doing with the DCA and what you do with your chamber music group and sort of how you approach teaching and, and entrepreneurship and life and stuff. So, uh, it's been, it's been wonderful to, to speak with you this evening. Uh, before we leave, I always give my guests a chance, uh, to, to give any last words or shout outs or, uh, you know, piece of advice, whatever, whatever you want to say, the floor is, will be yours. Cool. We have, um, I'll just end with, um, if you want to go to our website, we have six free workshops that we're offering in the month of December. Um, let's see what I get the names right here. So these are um, workshops that have to do with building your artistic identity or just going a deeper. It's for all musicians, not just for clarinet players. Only at the winter winter workshops. And there we have Jackie Glazier giving one. Mm-hmm. Her, she and her brother, Doug, are doing stress management. And then my husband, Ted, who's a cellist in the Cincinnati Symphony, is doing the art of diving in. Like, just jump in and, and do it. You learn by doing. He conducted an opera. He ran a marathon. Um, he jumped in and learned how to surf. You know, just do it. Um Tiffany and I will be doing two workshops. One is taking your practice mind to your performance mind. And the other one is um, skill stacking, how you can combine rather ordinary skills into something extraordinary when they're put together. Mm-hmm. And then there's a saxophone player named Don Paul Call who's doing um, building artistic your artistic identity. And then two cellists, one is Ellen Rafferty, in the, one of my colleagues at the CSO, and his wife, Sarah Kim, who run the Cincinnati Young Artists Program here in Cincinnati, are doing a talk on um, performing mindset, practicing mindset, and optimizing learning. So there's something for everyone. You can sign up for all of them. There are six total between December 9th and December 19th. So hopefully you'll take advantage of that and um, come and say hi. Yeah. And is it uh, digitalclarinetacademy.com or is it? Yeah. Okay. Digitalclarinetacademy.com. So check it out there. Uh, I know you guys are on Instagram and Facebook. Is that 
yeah. Instagram and Facebook. So check them out. Uh, Ixie, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. I know that I really enjoyed getting to know you and hearing all your thoughts on this and uh, seeing all the great work that you're doing with the DCA. I look forward to uh, checking out some of the workshops and sessions uh, sometime in the near future. Yeah, definitely come by, Sam. It was really great talking to you, and I hope this is just the beginning Absolutely, friendship. sounds good to me. We're we're yeah. we're basic. We're almost neighbors. We're a couple hours away, so uh, I feel like I feel like this will be a good start. So definitely, yeah. Well, uh, for our news, excuse me, for our new listeners out there, we are making our final push in 2020 to reach 500 Instagram followers. I think we're around 4:35 now, so I think we can do it. Um, so make sure to check us out on Instagram at the Candid Clarinetist. Also, be sure to stop by our website at candidclarinetistpodcast.com where you can find more information about myself, the podcast, and links to all of our content platforms. And just today, I launched my merch store. So if anyone wants a t-shirt or a coffee mug or something, stop by. All proceeds uh, support the Candid Clarinetist podcast. And once again, I am Sam Rothstein, and thanks for tuning in to the Candid Clarinetist podcast.